couple of you in here that I've not met. Uh, my name's Luke. Um, this is an abnormal uh, Sunday school time because uh, my family has been called to the work of church planting. I'm a pastor here currently. Um, and so this morning I'm going to be sharing the vision of what that's going to look like for us. And hopefully just you can know more, uh, pray for us well, and just support us in that endeavor um, in all ways, really. Um, so let me just begin by uh, praying for us together. Lord, thanks for um, just the fact that you've called me here. Thanks for the fact that my family has become uh, a family here. And for the fact that this is a, a safe and loving uh, church with safe and loving leaders. Um, thanks for our time here. Um, we leave this place believing that you are intending great things and that you are in control. Um, I thank you also that you've called us to something else, uh, not of our doing, although it is of our desire, but that you have a plan. Um, thanks for our time together, that we could all perhaps celebrate what it is that you are a missional God and you plant missional churches to reach your people. Thanks for letting us, all of us, be in that work together, whether we are pastors, church planters, or just people who are called to live as Christ did, um, reaching the world around him. So I pray for our time that we would be encouraged together and that um, you do much. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, so, hey, I just wanted to start by pointing out something really kind of obvious. Uh, you know, there was a time that this church wasn't actually here. Uh, and if you look out those those windows right there, you'll, you'll see exactly what I mean, that this, this building wasn't here. It was just a big piece of land, and that there was a time that this city lacked a Reformed voice to teach and preach um, and disciple um, in line with the faith that we hold. Um, and that was about 20 years ago, uh, talking to some of the folks who were um, some of the founders here. Um, Asa, was it 1999? you think? <laughs> Our conversation was fruitful. Um, we had a good time. The food was better than the company. Um, yeah, and so just, it, it, it'd be neat to just wonder how many lives have been touched through this, this church's ministry. Um, how many people have come to know the Lord through this church's ministry? How many people have grown in their faith and started living out of their faith more so because of the ministry of this church, the preaching, the teaching, the mobilization of the people of God, living and, and working and serving in this community. The point of church planting is what you see and what you're a part of here. There was a time that this was not here. There was other churches, and, and some will just, many will just say great churches for sure, but we're doing something different here um, holding a vision, holding a theology, holding a doctrine, teaching those things, and that this church is distinct and unique in that, and so we praise God for that. So kingdom communities start with kingdom people, and kingdom people are grown through kingdom preaching and teaching, and that's something that we see through this church. Um, so I just think that that's really neat to reflect on and something that this church and every church should be celebrating and rejoicing in, that, there, that there's a legacy and that there's something, um, we're not just doing church, we're doing the, the kingdom work as whatever church we're part of. I, I want to throw out some uh, Book of Church Order trivia. Uh, this is fun for me, probably uh, you, you think that's nerdy, and that's accurate. Book of Church Order trivia. Do you know what you call a church plant according to the Presbyterian Church of America's Book of Church Order? Do you know what you call it? What do you call a church plant according to the BCO? Jay Uten knows the answer. It's a mission church. Why would you call it a mission church? Because the mission of the church is to be on mission. It's, it's evangelism. So what do you call the pastor of a mission church? You call him an evangelist. He's not actually a pastor until there's a set of elders that have been ordained. 
I am going to be an evangelist of a mission church. Isn't that cool? I'm excited about that. That's the title I'm going to wear. I'm just, I'm thrilled about it. So let me read you this quote. I stumbled on this quote from a guy named Andrew Kirk. I don't know who he is, but I want to hang out with him for sure. This is a good quote. He says, the church is by nature missionary to the extent that if it ceases to be missionary, it has not failed in one of its tasks. It has ceased to be the church. Wow. Okay. So that's the calling of every church. That's the mission of every church. But here also much more that we're going to be doing a mission church and I will be known as an evangelist. So, um, you know, in Scripture, we don't actually see call a calling to plant churches. That's secondary. We actually see a call to do evangelism. And that churches are the natural result of evangelism. Now, you can do it one way or the other, but the the essence of creating new churches is that you would reach people through being a missional church, through being a bunch of people on mission together as evangelists. So I want us to look at the Great Commission together briefly. This is Matthew 28, if you want to take a look at it. We'll not linger there too long, but just to kind of give you a little bit of the biblical orientation for what we're really about to do, and really what every church is called to do. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So, Just breaking that down briefly, what you see there is the call to make disciples of all nations. That's the calling. Um, But what you also see there is the calling to teach them all that I have commanded you. So we understand that to be discipleship. So what we see here is the call to make disciples and disciple disciples. Evangelism and discipleship. And so... We know this to be the Great Commission, although many churches, um, and I think it's somewhat true in our denomination that we can relate to this more as the Great Omission as opposed to the Great Commission. So really holding this passage tightly as we go to Chattanooga, uh, my endeavors will be towards making disciples, discipling disciples, and ultimately discipling disciples to make disciples, and discipling disciples to disciple disciples. Is that confusing enough for you? It's it's just kind of the kinetic energy. It's like a cue ball. Just That's kind of the idea. So let me tell you a little bit about my personal, our personal, as a family, journey towards church planning. I want you to jump in anytime you want. Um, We're going to do some Q&A at the end, so if you have some quivers in your livers, just hold them until the end. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about your questions. So, um, journey to church planning. I'd say back in 2012 is really the first time that I really started thinking of myself as a, a church planner. Um, went to seminary at RTS Orlando, great place. And pretty much day one was thinking, I think I might be wanting to plant a church one day. And I had enough good sense to to realize along the way that I shouldn't do it right out of seminary. I wanted to figure out who I was in the church. I wanted to figure out who the church was and, you know, just kind of get some experience. Um, Church planning is known to be one of the more intense um, and disruptive forms of pastoral ministry. And so I wanted a season of stability and security for my family. And like I said, try to figure out who I am and how I do things and who the church is. And this has been a wonderful calling for my family. We have so enjoyed being here. Um, I used to sit in class, um, and I was listening, but I would also be doing some other stuff. And I would be looking at the PCA's website where there's a map and a directory of all the churches in the nation. And I would be looking at, like, where is one of those places that I might want to go that doesn't have as much of a presence um, for the PCA? I was looking out west because I like big rivers and I like big mountains and I like people that don't know Jesus and there's just more of those out west uh, 
as a demographic. And um, just it, it became apparent over a period of time that that wasn't really what the Lord was calling my family to. Um, so I was, I was struck knowing that there's a place that seems to fit my desires, um, but at the same time, I was recognizing I need to figure out who my people are. Who do I have a connection with? Who do I want to reach? Uh, certainly, I want to reach people that don't know Jesus, but who do I have this natural relationship with? You know, I think we're all called to, to love and serve those around us, even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's not um, the people we would normally you know, relate to. But at the same time, there's something wise about approaching a people group that you feel naturally connected to or have a heart for. And so I'd lived in Elizabethan, Tennessee, my hometown. I lived in Chattanooga. Uh, we lived in Orlando at the time. And I was like, where do I fit? Um, and if it's not here, how do I ever know if I'm going to fit in Bend, Oregon or Sacramento or wherever? Um, so I started asking those questions, and I never considered Chattanooga an option for us, which is ultimately where we're going. And the reason is because um, it's in the South. Um, there's a lot of good churches there, a lot of good PCA churches there. And I just didn't think they needed another one because I really wanted to break some new ground. I wanted to do something rad for Jesus, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and at the same time, I knew that that was the place that I had the most connection, where the people, the, the culture just really resonated with me really well. So um, calling really, I think, is dictated by circumstances and opportunity pretty much in everyone's life. Whether you're a pastor or you're a mechanic, I think calling is dictated by circumstance and opportunity. And calling um, and how we understand, like, what are we supposed to do outside of those things uh, is really an intersection of the world's needs and our gifts. And um, last April, my family, me and Megan and Eden, went on a little family moon, baby moon, as uh, we were anticipating the birth of our son, Stone. This was last April, and we went on a vacation to Chattanooga. Well, we love it, so that's, we go hang out there. And so in Chattanooga, I started journaling, um, sort of a prayer, really, um, that I, I had this great desire to be in the city, um, to be a pastor in this city. Um, all the while, I wasn't trying to leave here. Uh, really wasn't. It's just, that's, that's kind of what's in my heart. I just love that place. Um, and I love this place too, but there's just, there's something there. And so I was trying not to acknowledge that because to, for me to acknowledge that desire is ultimately to set myself up for the disappointment of the fact that that's not coming to fruition. So I'm like, ah, I don't really want to lean in on that one. But I, I kind of started leaning in on it. And um, then two months later, I was at the General Assembly, the national convention of our denomination in Atlanta. And a guy I know from Orlando area who planted a church, he's about 50 or 55, uh, is now the, had been the director of church planning for Chattanooga and Knoxville. He approached me. He's like, hey, Luke. Uh, come over here and drink a beer with me. I want to talk to you about something. I'm like, okay, I like beer. I like you. Let's talk. And so um, he's like, Luke, I want you and Megan to come and plant a church in Chattanooga. I'm like, oh, really? Is that right? Uh, and I was like, you know, Ted, if you'd said any other name of any other city in the nation, I would have said, no, thanks. I'm not interested. But the fact that you said Chattanooga, I got to have this beer with you. I mean, it looks tasty, and I'm, I'm going to have this conversation. So um, it was really uncomfortable to even be exposed to that um, because we were so happy here, not looking to leave, um, felt called here. But he's like, Luke, here's the deal. Chattanooga, as you know, they have these great PCA churches, big ones, and they pull people from, you know, Lookout Mountain, Signal Mountain, Brainerd, all over the city. People, it's, every church, though, is kind of a regional church, pulling people regionally. And what that creates is a dynamic where the immediate contexts around those, those churches are actually not being served by that church. Uh, one such church is First Pres downtown. It's a big church, marble, marble sanctuary, right downtown, right in the vicinity of a lot of urban needs, and they're not doing it. Um, so he's like, Luke, what we want to do is we want to start a movement of doing these neighborhood parish-style churches 
where they're actually committed to living in this neighborhood and, and reaching people that are their neighbors. And I was like, that's great. That's great. Um, we should do that. And so he said, Luke, I'm approaching you and Megan because that's what you guys already do. We already had this relationship. He knew that that's kind of how we're wired. And I was like, well, listen, Ted, you're kind of pitching me my own vision for church planning. Um, so we should probably keep drinking that beer. And um, so this, of course, was in Atlanta. And um, Megan got in on this conversation. And it was, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But it was, it was really immediately very appealing. Um, and so on the way home to Clarksville from Atlanta, we passed through Chattanooga in God's providence, and Ted takes us on a tour of the neighborhood. This neighborhood's called Highland Park, and, uh, you know, I, I've already spent a great deal of time in Highland Park um, through the years because one of my groomsmen lives there with his family, and we know people there, and so we're taking this tour, and we go to what's called the Highland Park Commons, this soccer complex that's put in the middle of this neighborhood by a semi-professional soccer team that happens to be owned and run by people we know. And since we both played college soccer, you know, we knew about this place. And we show up to the place. My groomsman's there with his family. And then, like, the board and the president of the organization shows up, and we're talking to them because we know them. And Ted's like, man, you guys know everybody. This is amazing. And so we started catching the vision that this neighborhood would be a really neat place to be uh, doing this relational form of ministry because, if nothing else, when we have nothing better to do, two former college soccer players can go to the local pitch and just start kicking a ball with somebody and building a relationship, and really, that's evangelism. Um, that's the first piece of evangelism. Yeah, sure, you can go out and preach and teach on the street corners, but we, we're more committed to a relational form, I suppose, and um, that's actually why I started the Clarksville Triathlon Club here in town. Um, I, I like to do triathlons. We didn't have a club, and I thought, well, I can meet a need, um, and we can be a thing in itself, um, but at the same time, this is my opportunity to get to know a lot of people in this community who don't go to this church, who maybe don't call themselves a Christian, and uh, that's been very fruitful. And so um, today, the Clarksville Triathlon Club is a 501c3, a board of directors, bylaws, you know, uniforms, all that stuff. It's really cool. And um, the idea of me having an, a venue to do that form of relational ministry, the soccer complex, is just really sweet. So um, I have a slide. I want to show you just a short 15-second uh, clip of what that looks like. This is the Highland Park Commons. That's what it looks like. And you're like, well, oh, it looks like soccer fields, Luke. I don't you know. It's really not that cool. Well, maybe. I think it's cool. <clears throat> so um, throughout this time, we started to start really thinking and praying about this opportunity. Um, and we, we recognize that we have a little bit of idolatry for Chattanooga because we had such a formative college experience there, and we love it, that we were thinking, maybe this is too good to be true. Maybe this is something that... Um, we're sort of forcing the issue. Is the Lord really seeking to send us there, or is this more just us kind of having this energy? And um, we continued to pray that and, and really say to the Lord, we're trying to have an open hand here. And I think we really did have an open hand and say, Lord, you, you put this in our hands. It fell into our lap. We weren't looking for this, and you do with it what you want. And in fact, take it away from us. We kept praying, take it away from us. Let this not be a, of us. So, um, continued to think and pray about it, talk to Richard about it, gosh, maybe July, I don't know, um, and decided, you know, before we go any further, we really need to distinguish who is Highland Park, this neighborhood, who is Highland Park, who is Chattanooga. We, we think we know Chattanooga, we love Chattanooga, we, we know a lot of people there, but we didn't want to assume that even though Highland Park could be a microcosm of Chattanooga, we wanted to know like the needs of the community, the people of the community, and if we fit, because it would be incredibly stupid of us to go any other way. And so we gathered a group of residents from that neighborhood in August last year um, to talk about that very thing and for them to speak and for us to listen and just say, hey, 
can you just tell us about who Highland Park is, who the residents are, how they live, like what the needs are here, what are the assets of the community, you know, what's this going to be like if we do this, and ultimately tell us if you think that we would be a good fit for this. And so after about 90 minutes of listening and talking and, you know, talking about vision and who we are and our personality and how we do things, uh, at the end of that time, they looked at us and they said, we, we really think you guys should come do this. We really think you're a good fit. And they said, look, here's, here's what we want. And they had already been talking about a church plant. They said, we just want somebody who's, who's willing to come and kind of show us how to love one another and love our neighbor. And I was like, you know, that sounds really good. That's like the best raw material for a church that I could dream of. And so we really started thinking that that might be something that the Lord was calling us to. And then I walked in the bathroom at this place that we had this meeting, and over the window is this unbelievable sign um, that says this. Show me that slide if you don't mind. The place is called The Spot, and it says, The Spot to enjoy your work and accept the life you've been given. This is a gift from God. And I was like, ah, that's a little, like I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but like that's, uh, we'd just been praying that exact thing. Like, is this too good to be true? Now, I'm not going to go so far as to say this is a sign from God, but there, it was just a really uh, Calvinistic coincidence. Calvin doesn't believe in coincidences. Calvin doesn't believe in luck. He's, he's, he's sovereignty of God. So it's just really interesting. Um, so I want to read another passage. I'm not going to do much with this, but I just want to read a passage. Uh, this is Acts 2. I happened to preach on this three or so weeks ago. And it's foundational for what we're really hoping to do in this community, this church, um, especially with that raw material of loving each other and loving your neighbor. Acts 2 says this, uh, talking about the fellowship of believers, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Um, uh, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. What you see in that is a group of people committed to learning together, living together, worshiping together, serving together, fellowshipping together, and evangelizing together. And that's kind of what we're going to be seeking to do, uh, especially with this group of people who live in this neighborhood. So let me tell you a little bit about Highland Park. Um, it's, it's a bit of a changing neighborhood. Um, it's, yeah, I'd say, okay, so in the 70s and 80s, Highland Park was one of the worst neighborhoods in Chattanooga, filled with low-income uh, housing, a lot of crime, a lot of drugs, prostitution was rampant, and now it's kind of being a, a gentrifying happening where there's a lot of young professionals moving in, uh, but it's still very mixed, and it's really neat in the sense that um, even though it's unfortunate in many ways that any neighborhood get gentrified, um, th it's kind of a microcosm of Chattanooga. So in Highland Park, you have the rich and the poor. You have the black and the white. And while the racial divide in this country, and certainly in Chattanooga no different, is incredibly huge, this divide, I think um, the divide between the rich and the poor in this country is even, even larger. I hadn't really thought about it until recently. But I live in suburbia. Um, I go to a church that's functionally a suburban church. Uh, I have a job. Um, I'm not around poor people very much. Um, I'd like to be, but I think it's, it's hard um, for the rich and the poor to understand each other, or the middle class and the lower class. Um, and I think that that's a real challenge for this church, for me, for my family. I think that's a challenge for the PCA. I think that's something that we have to seek and be intentional about. How do, we, how do we do that? How do we engage in that kind of mission? Well, this is a community that has that built in because it's a mixed community. Um, Highland Park is about eight city blocks by 12 city blocks of residential housing. So it's a neighborhood, and it's in urban Chattanooga. Um, and it's, it's centrally located in between some other very low-income 
districts, some very low-income neighborhoods that are still actually filled with crime and drugs. Um, we have a, a good friend that lives on one particular street, and they said that they hear gunshots sometimes. So the great hope here is that this church would be indicative of that community, that larger community. Um, so I'm showing you here, thanks, that was very intuitive, uh, a slide, a picture. Uh, what you see there in uh, orange is Highland Park, and that is to show you the proximity of where Highland Park is in relation to the city. Um, and go ahead and show us the next slide where um, this is our house, 7, 1607 Duncan Avenue, and there, right there is the Tennessee Aquarium. It's a seven-minute drive, 2.9 miles. So if you've ever been to Chattanooga, you probably know where the aquarium is. That's just where we're going to be in proximity to the city. So it's really downtown. That's kind of what I'm trying to show you. It's really in the mix of everything. So uh, like I was saying, it's a very mixed um, community still. Would you show me the slide of our house? So this is the house that the Lord gave us. Um, it's really neat. That tree in the backyard is probably as old as the, the house itself. Um, cute little house. We're thankful for it. Would you show me the next one? This is our next door neighbor. Um, the windows are literally boarded up, and there's, there's two Latino families that live in the house. This is our neighborhood. This is, this is what we want our church to look like. Um, and I show you that only to show you what this is going to physically look like in our, our hopes and our prayers. So we're actually hoping and praying that this will not be a monolithic community, that this will be a kingdom community that reflects the kingdom with all the nations and races and the diversity of the economics as well. So, um, yeah, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? What are we actually going to do? Well, um, first, I've been issued a call from uh, a church there called North Shore Fellowship, which is just over the river from the aquarium. And it's a PCA church. It's about a thousand-member church, big church, strong church, good church, you know, good leaders, all that stuff. The book that we studied last uh, summer, and uh, my buddy that came and preached here, Michael Rhodes, uh, the senior pastor of that church was one of the authors of the book. And uh, so it's a, it's a really neat church that cares about the minorities and the marginalized communities, and um, it's a really great launching place for us because there's many families in that church that live in our neighborhood. So while me and my wife know a lot of people in the city, um, I'm not going to be just calling up everybody and saying, hey, guess what? I'm, I'm planting a church. Will you come to my church? We're buddies. I could get some butts in seats, but that's not the, the objective. The objective is to reach our neighbors. The objective is to create a missional community where Luke and Megan are not the only evangelists, but that we encourage everyone to live out of the Christian faith and that we would all be evangelists and that we would all welcome people into normal, authentic relationships in our neighborhood, into our home, have food at our table, and share life together and build an, an, a, just a, a culture and a DNA and an ethos of life-on-life -life discipleship, of life-on-life -life evangelism and that the two don't have to be uh, distinctly different, that they can be the same thing. And throughout all that, we're going to be talking a lot about vision and mission. We're going to be talking a lot about who Jesus is in regards to the poor and who Jesus is in regards to the, to the rich. And we're just going to be doing a great deal of leadership development. And we're going to be doing occasional worship services um, Sunday evenings to cast vision and bring people kind of into this this. This, this worshipful community and, and move us forward together into the neighborhood. So what are we going to do? We're going we're gonna to show up at North Shore. I'll be a pastor on staff at that church, which means very little because I really won't have any responsibilities. I'm basically going to just show up, and I'm going to be occasionally preaching and teaching, but I'll be more or less connecting and gathering some of the residents that live in this neighborhood um, and saying, hey, let's, let's build something together. Let's plant a church together. You know, I might be called the church planner guy, but we are going to plant the church. If I am the church planner and no one else assumes that identity, the church is going to fail miserably. In fact, that's true of every church. Whether you plant it or you take it, it's just, the church has to be the church. That's the identity of the church. So 
uh, we're going to be connecting with people at the church that live in the neighborhood principally, and we're going to be connecting with people in our neighborhood. We're going to be hanging out with people, walking the dog, and doing it evangelistically. Like, what if, what if we all did that? What if we walked the dog evangelistically? Like, you see somebody, you say hello, you show kindness, and, you know, the next time you meet their dog, and the next time you meet their kid, and the next time you invite them into your house and say, hey, do you like, you know, you like Dos Equis? I like Dos Equis. Come on over. We'll play cards. You know, it's just friendship. Um, and to, to hold real intentionality in those friendships. Um, so real, really, we're, we're shooting for life change. We're shooting for life change that people would come to know Jesus or that the people that come with us would accept and adopt this vision and, and their life would be changed by being really galvanized towards missional living. That's kind of the essence of this thing. I was telling one of our friends about this vision, Lindsay, and Lindsay said, well, that's really simple. I was like, uh, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it's not very creative, but I think it's really biblical, and I hope that the Lord blesses it, um, and I think he will. So if I were to name this thing right now, if I was going to give a name to this church, I'd call it Mosaic Community. And it's not because I'm really big on the Mosaic Law. It's because a mosaic is a bunch of broken pieces that are brought together and make something beautiful. Jagged edges and all. And so, to me, that communicates, hey, this is a place for you to be real, for you to be broken. It's a place for emotional health and spiritual health, confessional living. It's a place where the body acts like the body and that together the body of Christ comes together and makes something beautiful. I'm like, well, that'll preach. I don't have to say a whole lot else. That's kind of the, the DNA that I want to create. So if it could be called Mosaic Community, that I think would be really neat. But that's something we'll talk about with people who have a say, like everybody who joins. So we're really seeking not only to plant this church, and that's certainly the chief thing that we're going to be doing in the immediate, but Ted, recruiter guy, Recruiter Guy has now been hired to be the national director of all recruiter guys. And recruiter guys like, hey, Luke, look, we want you guys to start a movement. You're actually the first test case of this kind of church plant. Um, and it's not novel. It's not new. It just happens to be kind of a breath of fresh air for our particular denomination, um, but a much needed one. And so we're really hoping to raise up some ethnic leadership. We're really hoping to reproduce ourselves as a church uh, with other church planters, and that this would be something that would be catalytic in moving our denomination towards um, the urban centers and also towards a relational form of ministry um, and discipleship. So that being said, um, what are our needs? I'm going to kind of hit this a little bit quick so that we can have some time for some Q&A. First and foremost, please pray for us. Um, Psalm, Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. I would so much rather this fail because we can't afford to live there and like we don't have any money coming in than us really pouring out our efforts in vain because the Lord is not with us. Now, we know that the Lord is with us, but please ask the Lord to bless this and that the Lord would cause this church to take root and that a kingdom community would be formed. Um, so I'm looking to have 100 families, at least, join our prayer team who will commit to pray for us every single week, and that I will um, send out a weekly or bi-monthly email encouraging you as what to pray for. And so that'd be like, Dave and Paige, you guys have Monday with like 20 other families, and you guys have Tuesday with 20, you see what I'm saying? So every day we're being covered in prayer. Uh, so that's the first and foremost. Second is that we have a great need for financial support. Um, so in the world of church planning, in the world of missions in general, in our denomination, everybody's like, that's great, go do it. We don't have any money for you. And we're like, thanks. Um, so the way it works is until the church is self-sustaining, the church has to be sustained from outside giving from other churches and other individuals. So I'm about to ask you for money. So just prepare yourself, okay? But I'm going to do it in a very kind way, I think. Um, so we're really seeking some financial liberty. We're looking for kingdom investors who really want to 
send us and galvanize us towards this and, and really be part of church planting. You actually can be a part of seeing this come to fruition. Um, so what that's going to need to be, you know, caveated with is the theology of giving. So my theology of giving, I think, is the Bible's, and it says that the Lord owns all of our stuff, and he calls us to steward that stuff, and that we're not to give compulsively, we're not to give reluctantly, but we're to give cheerfully, okay? So theology of giving, here it is. Um, you give unto the Lord, you don't give to me. It's not, you don't give to me. Secondly, uh, the Lord directs us in our giving. If you have 20 great causes, he's going to direct you. What that means is that I'm free to ask and you're free to decline because it's not about us. So it means that it won't change our relationship if you don't give. Free to decline. The Lord's in charge. It's between you and the Lord. So our first year budget is about 120000 We have 55000 committed so far from uh, a church and a presbytery gift, and we're thankful for that. That leaves 65000 for the first year's budget alone. The budget is going to be like a plane taking off. Runway, 120. Boom. And that's going to include a lot of stuff that I'm not going to take the time to explain. It's just going to be a steep incline. So year one to year two, pretty steep incline. Um, so what do we need? Well, right now we're seeking just quite honestly some financial liberty so that when I get to Chattanooga, I can be an evangelist instead of fundraiser guy. And it's really neat to see the Lord provide. Uh, in fact, he does that intentionally throughout Scripture with manna and daily bread. But, you know, I want to I want to talk to people about Jesus. I don't want to talk to people about money. So uh, I came up with what I'm calling the quick start giving goal, and it basically provides us just a little bit of breathing room so that we get to Chattanooga and we don't feel like we have to run around crazy chasing dollar bills. Although we will be doing that from day one and asking people who join our little band of merry men and women to commit to tithe into this, you know. But all the while, what that's going to look like is I'm, I'm trying to shoot for $15,000 in one-time giving, as well as 24000 in annual giving. 15, 24. Uh, so far, we're about 33% of the way there on the one time giving. That leaves about 10 grand. And we have about 50% of the 24000 annual giving committed so far. That's great. That's great. So uh, that leaves about, uh, it leaves a lot. 22000 Somebody could write me a check for $22,000, and I'd be like, yep, we got it. Um, and you're welcome to do that. So we have, these are just our needs. Um, I'm asking you to consider uh, being a part of that with us, and you're free to decline, and it will not change our relationship because it's between you and the Lord. Um, so with that, I would like to field some questions and answers uh, along with my wife, if you are so inclined. So... Uh, what, what questions, what comments? Yep. Can you talk just a little louder? There is, yeah. It, it will all go through North Shore Fellowship, and then it will bounce around to some accounting people, and then it will drop into the bucket. And I, I can show you how to do that. And it's all, it's all tax deductible, um, all that good stuff. Questions? Yeah. 
Good question. One final thing, I forgot to mention this. I'm not asking you to uh, give me the money that you're already giving to CPC. Um, that would be highly unfortunate, not what I'm asking for at all. Um, so please honor your commitments that you've made here uh, financially. Um, I'd like to see it have already reproduced itself. I'd like to have seen there be at least somebody who has been brought in and trained um, and sent out in the work of church planning, either in the surrounding area or in a similar demographic. Um, I'd love to see the church uh, above 200. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'd like to see it be like this big thing, like 500 or 1,000, but I, th I like around north of 200 seems like great. Um, and if you're going to be re replicating it in the immediate vicinity, then you need to, you need to give away some people. Um, so that would be part of that. I think a big session would be great um, if the Lord gives us uh, qualified men um, so that they can shepherd the people and lead the people. Um, and, and yet, some of what you've asked me is just beyond my vision so far. Um, but I, I, I'll tell you this, there's a church in Nashville that I want our church to look a lot like. It's called Park Presbyterian. It's in the Nations, and it is a wonderful place. And I want to have a co-church planner. I do not want to be the only pastor on staff um, when we launch our worship service. That's part of the airplane thing. And the reason is because church planning is known to be one of the most intense, demanding, disruptive, uh, family-destroying forms of ministry you can do. And when you work in a team, uh, that is just greatly uh, not happening as much. So, um, and in fact, it's biblical. Jesus sent his, his men out two by two. You see Paul with Timothy and Titus. I think there's a reason for this. I don't think you should endeavor into this um, in hopes of, or without trying at least, trying really hard to bring someone else on for the, the, the labor of ministry, to share in the pulpit, to share in discipleship, to share in all things. Um, and spending time with some of those guys down in Nashville, they are healthy, they're happy, their families are supported, um, and the church is being shepherded. Um, and as you probably know, just experientially, here we have 150 people on average on a Sunday, and me and Richard uh, and the session here, I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's really tough. There's people that fall through the cracks, and we're sorry about it, but it's just the way it is. I mean, it's hard to shepherd people well, and so um, I don't want to get people in the church and not care for them. So that's part of it. Other questions? And please jump in anytime you want. Other questions? I must have done a great job. Yeah. I could plant this church and have it um, worshiping and uh, particularized in probably 18 months if I wanted to, just because we know so many people and North Shore is powerful. We're not doing it. We're intentionally going to be slow. We will probably launch a worship service on the quick end, six months. Probably really, really quick, and that would be like, I don't know, or 18 months, I'm guessing. Um, so I'm asking people, if you do want to support us, to consider supporting us financially for a three-year period because we're probably not going to be self-sustaining for three to five years. And that's kind of the answer to your question because relationships take time. You know, this kind of evangelism and this kind of growth takes time. I'm not going to call Cush that lives at, you know, um, Macaulay and say, hey, Cush, come over. You know, you're, you're three miles away. Cush goes to Jared Huffman's church. I'm not going to call him and say, hey, come over to my church. I want people in the neighborhood. So it's just different. Um, so it's going to take time. You know Cush. 
And you know Jerry Huffman. Yeah. Lauren went to Covenant. Yes. What else? Yeah. Nice bow tie, by the way. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And that was part of Jay's question that I totally ignored. Um, we don't have church. Um, we're going to be in urban Chattanooga, so it's all developed. We're not going to be building unless, you know, somehow we do. Um, we'll probably end up renting, and there are some decrepit buildings that we might end up being able to buy at some point. But the, ch- the church is going to start as basically a community group. It's going to be a really intentional community group that meets in my living room. And, uh, and then it'll grow in my living room. And, and then at some point I'll be like, hey, this community group should be six community groups. And then that, these community groups, let's all get together about once a month and worship together. And then, you know, after six or ten months of that, we're going to be like, hey, let's just let's worship together every Sunday morning. That's kind of the deal. And then, and then the budget's going to be like, hey, we need more money because we don't have a church, you know. So, yeah. Do you have anything that you'd like to say? Megan? Yeah, and I didn't say this, um, but creating stuff is just creating stuff is just kind of part of how I'm wired. I really I love it, and so for me to take over an existing church would uh, be harder for me than this because I like to start stuff. Um, so changing the course of an existing church is kind of like turning a battleship. Roger can give you a very clean explanation as to what that means. Um, So changing culture, changing course, things like that, I would much rather start it. Um, I started the apple butter thing here, the triathlon club, backpacking. I've started, I like to start stuff. It's fun. So um, this is just part of my DNA, and I'm I'm so thrilled. This is literally a dream come true for us. Please don't hear me saying we have not enjoyed our time here and the relationships here and, and what you are to us. You are so important to us. But um, the Lord has just put in our heart something, um, and we've treasured it. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, they are giving us 30000 for the first year. That's how we have that fifty-five already, uh, that plus another gift. And um, not going to be terribly involved. I'm going to learn a lot from the men that are leading the church, I'll be invested in some of the uh, ministries. I'll do some preaching and teaching there. But I'm kind of 
a, a man without a job there, and that's how it's supposed to be because they know their role, and I know my role, and that role is I'm launching from there. They are sending me out. Um, so they will, they will be a great champion for me. They will give me credibility in the city. They will support us in many different ways, hopefully ongoing support financially, but no promise of that because we're kind of in the middle of a building campaign and they're in urban Chattanooga too, so it's pricey. So we'll see, um, but it's an unbelievable opportunity for us because it's a great church and I've actually applied to be a pastor there twice, once as a youth guy back before I went to seminary, which is not totally a pastor, and then once as a pastor when I was in seminary, which I was still not a pastor. But I've applied there twice because I love this place, so it's really cool. No. Um, I did think about doing some of that part-time, and I may. But in, in our world of uh, the PCA church planning, there's nothing wrong with bivocational ministry. It's a great thing. Um, but this is going to take all my effort, just quite honestly. Um, it'll take all my effort. And um, if it was a, a little bit different model, the bivocational thing would, would work um, and be great. And I'm okay with it going slower, but... Um, there is sort of a critical point where it's like, if we don't do this by, you know, year two, we're probably just not going to do this. You see what I'm saying? Like, if it's not working, then it maybe just isn't going to work. And so there's something about the momentum that's already there, and there's something about continuing that once we get there. So, yeah. I want to say thank you for coming. Um, I'm so glad to share with you. And so sad to leave. This morning has been very somber for, for me and my heart and for Megan. Um, and I took a picture of your, your faces. And I'm going to follow up with you about prayer and financial support. Feel free to decline. I mean that. Josiah, feel free to decline. Um, but I will follow up with you. Um, and uh, it's between you and the Lord chiefly. Um, but I would so much covet your prayers. Um, any other thoughts or questions? Well, thank you again for coming, and um, I will miss all of you. So I think that's it. We're adjourned. Yes, you may. Will you come?